Amen. You can take your seats, church. And thank you to our team for leading us so well. It's been wonderful to have Kathy Maddock leaving us, leading us while Sam's been away, and it's great to have Sam back as well. So thank you to everyone for their service in that area. And uh, I'm looking forward again to bringing the Word of God to you. And for those of you who've been here the past couple of weeks, or maybe you've heard uh, online where you can listen to our message every week if you missed it. I know uh, Kerry Davis, who leads our Hills Kids Ministry, is out nearly every week, but, but always catches up with the message afterwards, which is great. There's been a bit of a pattern or a flow that we've been unfolding. And a couple of weeks ago, we talked about a sermon called The Secret of Guidance. Uh, and when you think about it, it's not much of a secret, really. I mean, it gets down to Jesus and God and uh, the way that he leads and guides. So we talked about that. And then next week, after having talked about guidance, we then said, OK, where might we go? <laughs> you know, like, what do you do with that guidance? And that was uh, an opportunity to talk about stepping out in faith together. So that looked at the community of God's people in particular, arriving at the promised land, a land that they were told on promise by God that they would receive. And, but they were standing against the barrier of the Jordan. So God had already rescued them and saved them from Israel, uh, but they stood on the edge of promise, if you might call it that, and faced an enormous obstacle. And we talked about the process that they needed to go through to step into that promise. And we talked about the leaders standing in the middle while the, the, the river stopped flowing and the people showing their faith and building a memorial and remembering that deliverance. And we talked about some of its implications for us as a church and how we might step out together in faith as well as individually. This week, uh, we're going to backtrack a little bit in the chronology of that story, but we're now going to say, okay, we've been saved we stand on the edge of the promise. We've got this moment or this opportunity to step in. What might be some things that might stop us doing that? Because we all face what you might call faith challenges in our life as followers of God. We all come to moments where, by God's grace, reading the word of God, sensing the leading of the Holy Spirit, we have to express faith by obeying him in some way. And at that moment, I, we're often faced with a choice. It could be described as fear or faith. <laughs> it's, it's one or the other. You've got to choose one way or the other. And uh, this is similar to what happened to God's people as a collective. So on this occasion, it was a little bit different where they were faced with a challenge together and they had to make a choice. And sadly, on the first occasion that it was presented to them, because this wasn't the first time they were told about the promised land, it was a split decision, but it went the wrong way. So I want to look at what happened on that occasion and talk about the battle between faith and fear that all of us face as Christians, that we face as a church and that we, we, we will face again. If we can... Thanks very much, Dave. <clears throat> um, uh, the two Davids, you just say it's David and a work for either the preacher or the tech team today. Thank you, David and David. Good name for a legal firm. Don't tell God it can't be done. So uh, this is what happens when God's revelation confronts our rebellion. Do you like that? 
I made that up. Um, When God's revelation confronts our rebellion. Because God's into revelation, folks. I mean, we don't know anything about him unless he says, here I am, this is what I'm like, this is how I lead, this is what I'm doing. And the invitation then comes to us, would you like to come along? And when we're first talking about getting out of slavery, like the Israelites were, it's like, when can we get out? (laughs) We are hands up. We are saying, sign me up for that. We want to get rid of this body of sin. We want to be free of uh, our past decisions and experiences. We want to move forward and we are all in. But then as we go through that process, the invitation to obey and respond continues to come. And sometimes it involves a significant step of faith. It involves moving through a significant obstacle or challenge. And the temptation at that point is to forget the revelation and go with rebellion. To say, well, Lord, yeah, you might have done that back then or you might have said that back then. But, you know, I'm feeling a bit more comfortable saying, forget it. I'm going back this way. And so it's a challenge when we get to that point. Everything in life, I want to suggest, starts with a promise from God. Uh, The reason I'm able to say that is because the biblical narrative tells us that God speaks and this appears, like we are created. God has the first word in the matter of life and faith. He speaks first. And throughout his scripture, he makes the promises in the Bible of all nature, specific, general, applying to all people, partially, are innumerable. And on this occasion, as the people of God are released from slavery, they're standing on the edge of moving into the promised land, a staggering promise is made to them that the Lord will drive out all the nations before you and you will dispossess nations larger and stronger than you. Every place where you set foot will be yours. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the Euphrates River to the Mediterranean Sea. No one will be able to stand against you. The Lord your God, as he promised you, will put terror and fear, the terror and fear of you in the whole land wherever you go. I mean, you know, if you're going to make a promise, <laughs> like that's a pretty good one. <laughs> you've got details on where. You've got the Lord committing to acting on your behalf. He's going to work on the opponents that you've got. I mean, he's covered all the bases here. <laughs> there's no room, there's no wiggle room in this promise. Uh, Now today, uh, Christians, the ministry is not taking land today, although um, God well understands our need as communities and as couples and families for property, whether it's where we meet or where we live. So God's not, you know, hasn't forgotten about or done away with the idea of where people live. That's very important to him or where churches gather or how countries function. He's still interested in that. But the ground taking that the church is involved in today is in here and here. So we are still called on as a church to take ground, but it's in the minds and the hearts of the people that we serve and minister to. As the word says, we are involved in a spiritual battle for the minds and the hearts of people who we say are fast bound in sin and are waiting for their exodus moment when they come out of slavery. So that's the ground taking that we're involved today. We're not in some campaign 
I'm not going to get into various views of the promised land as it's stated there. It's enormous actually and Israel never possessed all of that area, never lived up to that promise, never uh, captured all of that by any sense, only part of it. Uh, but we're not going down that path today. Ours is a different type of ground taking today. So there's this promise and they get to the edge of the promised land and Moses chooses 12 spies, the leader of God's people, Moses, to go in and explore it and to come back with the situation report. And when you think about it, it's not too dissimilar from something that might occur to this church or to any government or anything like that where a party is appointed to go and investigate a matter and provide a report on it. Might be purchasing a property, might be starting a ministry, might be launching a new initiative or raising a tax, dare I say, anything like that. One from each tribe, go and look at where we've been promised to perhaps form a plan or provide a report about how we're going to do this, what's our next step, what comes next. So the 12 spies go in, but they come back with a very interesting report, which generally sounds positive when it starts, but then it starts to go, it starts to, it's, it's drifting off course. God's promise is starting to fade. The direction's changing. The spies gave an account, Moses, this account. We went into the land to which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. Fantastic. It's fantastic. And here's the fruit. We lopped one of these off. I don't know what they had, big bunch of grapes. But then the word appears, but. But the people who live there are very powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there, uh, which is a, a tribe of uh, giant-ish people. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country and the Canaanites live near and along the Jordan. So they're providing a report which is in part positive, but already uh, they are starting to provide what you might call a different narrative to the one God gave about what was going to happen to those people. And uh, he said that, you know, the people would, uh, the fear of you will be on them. So in other words, they will give way to you and you will be able to carry out my promise. But the people aren't speaking at that point uh, faith language. They're starting to go down to talking about all the obstacles, talking about the opposition, talking about their strengths, talking about what they've got going for them, talking about what they're going to come up against. And it's almost as if one of the two, uh, one of the spies called Caleb can hear what's about to unfold. And so he steps up and he thinks, I need to get control of this story that they're telling and I need to make a statement. So Caleb silences the people before Moses and he says this, we should go up and take possession of the land for we certainly can do it. Now, for those of you who are into uh, biblical biography and looking at the stories of people, the story of Caleb is a, is a fantastic story. Uh, you remember that he gets to the end of his life once they finally do get into the promised land 
He gets to go in because he spoke this language of faith right at the start. And they say, okay, he comes forward and he says, it's time for me to go into my promised land, my area. And I think he was 80, wasn't he? Is that right, Richard? 80, 84, 80? 80. We'll go with 80. Sounds old. Um, sorry, Judy. Um, and uh, Sorry, David. Um, and, uh, but not unlike the potters, there you go, let's turn it positive. Um, he says, I'm as, I feel as good as when I was back there. And I'm ready to, to, to do the will of God. I, he's, he's talking about his physical vigour. And uh, the potters are declaring, I, we can do hospitality for the rest of our lives until they take us out of here. Isn't that what you said, Judy? You're shaking your head. You can do it today. Yeah, all right, that's good. So Caleb, uh, right off the start, he knows that he gets, he's got a feeling this is going south. So he gets up and makes this declaration and he says that we should do it and that we can do it. And sometimes, folks, uh, this church needs people who aren't necessarily on the leadership who say we should do it uh, and we can do it. We all need to make that statement at some stage on behalf of ourselves, but also on behalf of others. We should do it and we can do it. And isn't it great to have that conviction when we we have that sense that we've got this promise of God, we've got this mission and ministry, and we we should do it and we can do it. It's a great way to believe and a great place to be. However, um, unfortunately, despite Caleb's declaration... Uh, the battle swings the other way on this occasion. The men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack these people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, that's the descendants of Anak, And we seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we look the same to them. Now, folks, I know sometimes that the language of faith can be misused, but what you have before you there on the screen is the example, if you like, of non-faith language, of non-faith talk. Um, There's no mention of the promises that God made. Notice that. So... uh, Caleb doesn't directly refer to the promises of God, but he in fact paraphrases them. But these guys are quoting something else. In fact, what they're saying is what they can see with their eyes now. So in some sense, what they're saying is not wrong. They're stating the bleeding obvious. But what God said to them was a statement about what was to come. So... There's no reason why what they said should negate that. God's talking about the future. He's talking about what's going to come into being. He's speaking himself with the eyes of faith, such is the creator God. But they're saying, no, 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 but this is what we see now. And folks, you and I, we can have a long conversation and we can sit there and one of us can be speaking faith about what's to come and the other can be speaking, yeah, but this is what we see now. And we can both be right. But if we want to cling on to those things of what is now, we'll never leave and move to faith. You have to see something that's going to come into being that's a picture of the future in order to move towards it. 
And it's not just in Christian life and ministry, but everything of significance that we enjoy or participate in in our church today, in our world today, is the result of someone seeing something that didn't exist now. So don't think, okay, they're talking about this, they're talking about that. I need to tell them what it looks like now. (laughs) That's not news. We can all see what it's like now, but can we see in the eyes of God the vision of the future, which is always faith? And church life will always be faith language. God ordained it. We're going to look at some scriptures about that soon. God himself sees into the future, as it were, and creates within that. So you look, they've, they've spread, a, so they've gone straight to the people and started to spread a bad report. And look at the way they exaggerate when they say, we seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. So what they're saying is, that's how we saw ourselves. But then they've come up with, and we look the same to them. So now, I don't know whether they interviewed them. <laughs> how do we look to you? Oh, like grasshoppers, you silly twerps. Oh, okay, we'll go back and bring that back. I mean, I'm assuming they didn't do that. They were spying. It was meant to be a secret. But somehow they know how these people are looking on them. And sometimes we can be the best publicist for the enemy that he ever needs. Because we're sitting there talking about, you know, what he's doing and what he sees and the opposition and they're just out for us and everything. And it's like, hang on, whose story are you telling? We spoke earlier about uh, the, the wonderful phrase that we've been singing, I am who you say I am. And we have a choice to make about what narrative, what description we are going to receive over ourselves and over our church and over our world, over our families. Or are we going to be talking and publicising some other story or some other influence and whatever? And these guys, they've gone to town. Uh, A friend of mine used to call the newspaper I work for the Calamity Crier. I mean, these guys will be good headline writers for the front page. They look massive. We can't do it. And um, we shouldn't joke about it because it produced an absolute crisis in the life of the people at the time. It was no joking and laughing matter and it reaped a terrible harvest for those people that went down that path. Fear produces disobedience and rebellion. Friends, if you're ever looking to do a study, you're bored or you're interested maybe or whatever, type in to a Bible search engine, do not fear, and just see what comes out. Then after that, type in do not be afraid. Those two phrases, they occur repeatedly throughout the Bible. Now, sometimes, you know, when you're a little kid and, you know, your mum comes into your bedroom or your dad and so I'm a bit scared. I remember I, um, <laughs> I may as well tell this, oh, okay. Um, I was a little fella and when I was about 10, my mum said, would you like to go and stay with grandma? You know, we lived at uh, Fulham Gardens and grandma lived up at Ross Trevor and I, I was the oldest grandchild and I got to go and stay with grandma and sleep in one of my uncle's bedrooms. He was away somewhere at the time. I think he was in the army. And... Um, I'm up there and, and then it gets dark and it's time to go to sleep and I was petrified. 
I don't know what it was. I was in this phase where I was a bit scared. I used to be scared of getting to school late. And it got so bad at one stage, I used to get dressed for school and I'd go to sleep in my clothes. I did that for a little while. No joke. I was petrified. Then guess what? One day I was late. I can still remember walking into school, Kidman Park Primary School, and Julie Lazareski walks past me. I remember her name clearly. I still see her face and she said, you're awfully late. (laughs) Oh, 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 oh. I don't think I've ever recovered from it. I was really, it was just that time, a little bit unsettled. And, and so I'm up there and it's dark and there's all these noises I don't recognise and my uncles and bedrooms. Oh, man, it was a nightmare. Anyway, uh, you know, and I walked into my other uncle's bedroom because he was still living there and I said, Uncle Trevor, I'm really scared. You know, and he goes, oh, that's all right, mate. You know, we all get scared. He was really nice about it and I went back to bed. Anyway, uh, what I tell you that? Sometimes the... Sometimes God does say tenderly to his children, don't be scared. All right? So that I never want to say the tenderness of God is not there, that he says, don't be afraid. All right? And that's beautiful to hear that. But sometimes God the Father is saying to us, do not be afraid, son, because you're at a crossroads here and you cannot go down the road of fear. He's talking to us a bit more sternly. He's saying, do not be afraid. That is the path of death and destruction and disobedience. You must now have confidence and faith in me and go through the promise that I've given you. All right? So God speaks tenderly about fear, but sometimes he speaks sternly. And he says, don't be afraid. You've got to go through. You can't stay here. You can't turn back. You can't disobey. It's not going to turn out well. And so he speaks to us in that way. Here we see that that night all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole assembly said to them, if only we'd died in Egypt or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us into this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt because this guy's a nutcase. Now, folks, the accusations that they made in their fear that now has taken hold of the whole community are really absolutely insulting to God the Father. They're saying... Why they're questioning the Lord's motives? Why is He bringing us here? And you know He's just going to let us die, and then our wives and our children—they're not going to be looked after either. And you know we know better. We're going back to Egypt, and and this Moses guy—we're going to depose him and appoint someone else. And it's just gone through the whole community, and they're talking really bad talk. And they've just turned on the whole direction and leadership idea. And they deny Yahweh's salvation and providential care. They refuse to trust and rely on him despite the signs. And there is a, this, chain, this charge is a fundamental misunderstanding of Yahweh's nature and his actions. Now, when you consider it in that light, sorry for the amount of type on the screen, but um, Moses and Aaron realise there is a crisis. 
the two leaders of God's people, they fall face down on the front of the assembly. Now, what is that all about? It's a way of them trying to express in front of the whole people their own submission to God's plan, but also perhaps a sense that the the Lord cannot deal, you know, he he can't accept this. This this is not going to end well. So they've gone, they're just saying, Lord, have mercy on us for our attitude. Joshua, who was the other spy with Caleb, who we heard about last week, they tore their clothes in front of the assembly. So they're trying to say, this won't do. This is, this is grieving God. It's grieving us. This is a moment of grief that you won't accept it. And they restate to the assembly, the, Lord, the land we pass through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into the land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us only... Do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone and the Lord is with us. There's the phrase, do not be afraid of them. And we're not in war, as it were, with people today, except that we are trying to win everyone to Jesus. And so we are told not to fear the opposition that comes our way when we proclaim the good news and speak about the saving grace of God. The people might be strong in the land, the opposition might be great, but God is with us and he will move to give us success in that way. So the leaders respond in that way. You might say that the people have become forgiven, but now because of their rebellion, they are unable to enter into the promise of God. Moses uh, asks the Lord to forgive them, and he says something very interesting. The Lord says, I have forgiven them as you asked. And the good news is when we say yes to Jesus, when we accept him, all of our sins of the past, present and future are washed away. Who is happy about that? Is anyone, oh, thank you for forgiveness. How can we go forward without forgiveness, folks? You need it. I need it. I need it from you. You need it from me. We all need it from God. Without mercy and grace, who could stand another second in the presence of God or even in our own presence? So God says, I've forgiven them as you asked. But then he says, Because of the attitude, this is now what's going to unfold for those people. And he goes on to say, As surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land that I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. Wow. Is it possible to treat God with contempt? Is it possible for us to treat God with contempt? Wow. I don't know. I hope not. The Holy Spirit's alive on the inside of us, yet we are warned not to grieve the Holy Spirit. I guess it's possible to to resist God and, and and to not follow into the steps of promise. Another way of putting that last phrase, I want to suggest, is found in Hebrews chapter 11. 
And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, that's a good starting point, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Given a choice, we've got to stand in that place where not only we believe he's there, but that we act like it and live like it and that following in his way and in his footsteps has a point and a purpose, that he responds to it, that he rewards it. So that's the New Testament alternative, if you like, to the statement. God then says, and you see the father heart of God coming out in this statement, and as for your children that you said will be taken as plunder, I will bring them in to enjoy the land you have rejected, but as for you, your bodies will fall in this wilderness. God is absolutely insulted when we will not commit the care of our kids to him. And it it's a temptation that we've all face. I've struggled with it as a parent. That sense of dread, I reckon every parent's had it. What's going to become of our kids? How are they going to turn out? Are they going to make it in life? And if we're really honest, we've got that sense at times, I don't know, I can't do it myself. And so committing them to God's care, raising them in God's ways, introducing them to him and his principles and his promises is a good thing to do because God says, don't you ever accuse me of failing your kids. Instead, commit them to my care. He said, I'll show you, says the father. They're going to go in and you're not. You won't be around, but don't accuse me of failing to provide and to take your children into the place of promise. God's really insulted by that suggestion. And it's a struggle that we all have. I understand that and I know that we need to face up to our struggles and um, really just, re- just surrender our kids. And it's difficult at times. They struggle. They go through moments in time. Our oldest child is 26 today. Fancy that. I'm married to the mother of a 26-year-old. <laughs> Not very funny, is it, Jude? But anyway, oh, I mean, it amuses me. But... Um, yeah, so we, we love our kids. Let's wrap this up, folks, otherwise um, it just might go on forever. But let's think about this, all right? So given that story and given God's response and given how we are called to respond in faith today, I think there's a warning for us today and there is an encouragement. So let's start with a warning. Let's start with a heavy one. And this is picked up in Hebrews chapter 3, which makes use of the story that I've just related to you out of Deuteronomy. It says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Well, I think we can all say, yes, we're happy with that. (laughs) We don't want a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Who wants that? We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold to our original conviction firmly to the very end. As has just been said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. The book of Hebrews is written to a Jewish community and the writer is comparing the rejection of Christ with the rejection of God's promise of the promised land way back then. And he's saying then our community rebelled against the promises of God and they paid the price today. Do not rebel against his sent son, Jesus, and pay the price again. You've got the warnings of the Bible. We've read it together today. 
today. Say yes to Jesus, receive the pathway of faith, enter into the promised land, as it were, which is the community of faith. Go forward and take ground and don't doubt God and his care and his provision for you. So that's the warning. And he quotes Psalm 95, 7 and 8, which eulogises what the people did back then. And what I mean by that, it says, don't do that. We tested God before, we can't do it again. The encouragement for today comes from the words of Jesus. And Jesus so often, you know, still continues in the language of warning, but here he talks in a more positive way. Notice the phraseology, drive it out. Where have you heard that before? The disciples came to Jesus in private and says, why couldn't we drive it out? It is not the people of the land, but it is the evil spirit that was possessing the young boy who was in pain and in torment because of that demon. And they're trying to drive him out just like the people of God back then are trying to drive out the inhabitants. And they're saying to their master, why can't we do it? And he's saying, it's a matter of faith. It's a matter of faith. Because you have so little faith. That's pretty much the answer. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. I mean, I wish he wouldn't keep saying things like that. Nothing will be impossible for you. I mean, doesn't that test and challenge our faith? Doesn't that confront us? Nothing will be impossible for you. Six words, Matthew 17, 21, that little statement comes from. So when we're faced with those challenges, either in our own lives or, you know, the life of us as a church community, we're to recall the words of Jesus. It's a matter of faith and when it's activated, even in small amounts, nothing will be impossible for you. I want to finish on this verse, which I describe as... My second life verse. Uh, some of you may have never ever heard of a life verse. Uh, it's a little phrase that's used to describe a verse in scripture which people adopt and say, this is the one that's meant the most to me. Um, and uh, my first life verse was Matthew 6.33. I was a young Christian. And I was very uncertain about how to move forward in the world. And uh, uh, Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. Prioritise my will and my ways and all the things that you're anxious about will be added to you as you go. It's a wonderful promise. That set my direction. Then I had a time of wandering. I had a time of uncertainty and I thought in some ways I'd blown it. Sometimes I probably felt like those that were told you're not going to go in. But by God's grace whether it's because we're living in a new age of salvation, I don't know. But I came across the words of Philippians 1.6 that says, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. Some of you here today are doubting whether you're going to make it. Some of you here today are struggling with the journey of faith. Some of you here today are uncertain about how you're going to go forward. Some of you here today are not sure about the future of this church. Some of you here today are uncertain about how we're going to enter into the next stage of promise of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he says, 
he that started a good work in you, if you have said yes to Jesus and you've accepted him and you have received the Holy Spirit, a good work has begun in you. And just when we get to that point, we think, I don't know if I can go on. I can't do it. Everything looks so big. I feel so small. He says to us, I will see it through to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. I will not stop working you. I will not leave you alone. I will not depart from you. I am able to make you able. And I will see it through to completion. Folks, that's a promise you can take to the bank, if I can put it that way. And that was something that I needed to get through that period of doubt, that period of struggle, and to go on in my walk with Jesus. And I recall this scripture often, whenever I'm tempted to say, but Lord, I'm not sure, I don't think, and I'm talking, quite frankly, devil talk, And God says, can I hear something of what I've said about you come out of your mouth for once, buddy? Because I don't say that about you. You are who I said you were. You are my child. Stop talking to me like some disowned reject who doesn't have a hope or a prayer. And start talking to me in the prayer closet, the language of faith about what I've spoken over you. Because I am not finished with you. I will not let you go. I will not fail to complete my work in you. Why don't you pray that over yourself, son? And folks, I think we all need to check ourselves sometimes because sometimes we're standing at the edge of promise, we're standing at a time of transition and we want to say we can't do it. And it can't find a home in the life of God in you. he, He won't talk like that. So I want to challenge us all as we come to a moment of prayer just to consider that and to let's speak over ourselves and over our church and over our community in the faith-filled way that God has spoken over us. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads and pray. Lord, let us start today by confessing that every single one of us at some stage have doubted and, Lord, I dare say, at some stage we've rebelled, that we've dug our heels in, we've crossed our arms, we've screwed our face up and we said, Lord, we can't. I won't. It won't happen. And Lord, we're confronted today by you as our loving Father, speaking over us words of faith and hope and of promise. And Lord, we want to say firstly, we're sorry for doubting. We're sorry for rebelling. We're sorry for turning away when you said, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. But instead, walk the pathway of faith and hope and love because I am your father. I care for you. I care for your kids, says the Lord. I think that's important for some people here now. You really need to just accept that God cares for your kids. Oh, thank you for that promise, Lord. I think that's a real word for some people here. I know Judy and I 
Our kids are in a, the 20s young adult stage and that looks a bit different from when they were teenagers. Lord, we're just claiming your promise for our kids right now. We are really claiming that. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for loving our kids. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, Lord, you know what it means to be a parent. You know what it means to love in a way that grieves you when your kids don't trust you and don't believe and, and go off in their own direction. It cuts us up as earthly parents and Lord we know it moves you as our spiritual father so Lord we just surrender now we step into the place of faith we step into the place of trust we believe that you can deliver us through all things Lord no matter how we feel now whatever we're seeing in front of us whatever the current reality is we speak over ourselves and over each other isn't that right church we declare over each other we declare over this church community, we declare over the church global that we can go forward into our promised land. We can take ground. We will see hearts turn toward Jesus. There will be a turning to the ways of God. We agree with it, Lord, and we put aside all rebellion, resistance, rejection, grieving of the Spirit. We disown it in Jesus' name. We say, Lord, come to us now and encourage us and lift us up. Even as we struggle, we declare it so, that you are a good, good Father. You will see us through to the promised land. You will complete the good work that you've started in us, Lord. Thank you, Father. And we declare it over our children, Lord. We accept the promise on behalf of our kids and our sisters and brothers and fathers and mothers and uncles, everyone we're related to, some of us are the only Christians in our family. We receive your promise now over our family in Jesus' Name. We release them out of slavery by God's authority into the promised land of your salvation and your goodness and your grace. Do you agree with this church? Are you speaking it over your family right now? We release them, Lord, into your goodness, grace, and kindness. Thank you, Lord, for those moments that we're going to have in the coming weeks to say, hey, what do you think of Jesus? Have you thought about Him recently? Where are you at with Him? Maybe Mother's Day is an opportunity for us to invite someone to church. Who is it that needs to come? Who is it that needs to have that connection? I'm thinking of my niece now. i just got to say it. Thank you, Lord. We just, just think of that person, that person in your family that you just need to release. You just need to see come to kindness. Maybe you haven't talked to them for a while. Maybe the last conversation didn't go so well. Maybe you're not sure if they even think one second about God the Father of Jesus Christ, His Son. But just again, we're renewing and refreshing our desire for them to come to faith. Thank you, Lord. We claim that person in Jesus' name. We say, receive the Spirit of God. Accept the Word of Christ. Be born again and join us in holy church community, we pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.